0: On Facebook, people will often send around puzzles to challenge others to see if they can solve it. One common such puzzle is a box filled with rows and rows and columns and columns of the number 581. But then the challenge is to see if you can spy the one spot in that blinding array of numbers where a different number occurs. Where is the exception? Well, it might take you a minute, but eventually you see it. Way down near the bottom on the left side is a 587 instead of a 581. I mean with everything the same, it takes some effort to see the one different part. Matthew 1 has something like that in the family tree of Jesus. And today on Groundwork, we'll see what that is and how it unlocks for us the mystery and wonder of Christmas. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Groundwork where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now the end, the fifth episode of our five-part series on the genealogy, or the family tree of Jesus that opens the Gospel of Matthew. And again, so far in this Advent and Christmas series, we've uh, noticed the first four women whose names and stories Matthew included, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and then Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And we've noted two main things, I think, so far. First, each woman is a non-Israelite. Hinting to Matthew's readers that uh, even as the Messiah was produced from a family line that included people from different nations, so the Messiah came to save all nations and not just Israel or the Jewish people. But then we've noticed something else, too.
1: We also noticed that these aren't the cleanest, most nice stories. There, There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of brokenness. And if you wanted to have a squeaky clean story or at least a happier story, you could have picked Sarah. You could have picked Rebecca. Right. But in this case, he picked these stories with these names that have very broken and, and challenging stories, hard to hear, and not necessarily Sunday school material, but that is in turn why we have Jesus and why we needed him to come. He's a real human being. He had real brokenness that he came through in order to fix this world.
0: But there is one other woman uh, whose name makes it into the family tree, and this one isn't at all surprising. If we were surprised to find Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, we're not at all surprised to find the name of Jesus' mother, Mary. That's the one name you would expect. Okay. And here's how it goes. At the end of uh, Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, Eleazar, the father of Mathon, Mathon, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Now, like that Facebook puzzle, Daryl, I was just referring to, uh, where you have to find the one number that's different among you know a whole array of other numbers. What's different here uh, than everything that came in the first 15 verses of Matthew 1?
1: you know you have the the father of this the father of that the so and so begat so and sos that happens a lot but then we see the switch when you get to joseph right so there's no there's no father of for joseph to connect to jesus but it, we he, we see the mother we see the husband of mary in that situation and that's what's different it's just like a it's a change in the middle of the genealogy where they add the husband of Mary instead of, of the father of.
0: Right. So yeah, 15 whole verses of father of, father of, father of or in the old King James, begat, 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 begat. And also we get the to Joseph and yeah, Joseph gets no begat. Uh, he gets no father of. My New Testament professor at Calvin Seminary uh, back when I was a student, David Hollerida, uh, he called this a holy irregularity. This is the single exception Uh, in this family tree, or in any family tree, I guess for that matter, where someone is not listed as the father to the next person in line, but just the husband of the woman who is listed as the mother of the next child in line. Of course, in in this case, that's Jesus. As we've said, genealogies aren't the most enticing things and exciting things you could read. Your eyes kind of glaze over, but our eyes were supposed to pop a little bit when we got to Bathsheba and Rahab and those other, Tamar, those other women. But we're also supposed to, um, I think, pause here about what's going on with joseph why is he not a father of the
1: next person so there are some birth certificates that have one parent's name on them Mm -hmm. even though both parents were involved and for a variety of reasons that happens and in this case joseph's name could not be put in the father uh part of the birth certificate And so, of course, Mary knows because she's got a message from the angel that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. But Joseph doesn't know any of what's going on there. And so it's really hard to explain to people who know this isn't the real father, or they don't know if this is the real father. There could be some a little bit of scandal that's attached to that. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, if you were a kid, suppose that you were looking at your family tree, and and you notice that your grandpa, your grandfather, is not listed as the father of your Uncle Albert, but he's just listed as the husband of Grandma. And so you might say to your mom, Mom, what's up with that? And then your mom might get kind of a funny look on her face, and she'd lean over and whisper, well, you see, honey, Grandpa married Grandma when she was already pregnant, but it wasn't his baby. Oh, well, that explains why Uncle Albert doesn't look like his brother so much. So that would be the the explanation you would expect. Some other man was the father of Jesus.
1: Uh, It wasn't Joseph. He
0: was just the husband of Mary. So on the surface of it, this
1: looks bad. So when you look at this and you try to find out what's going on with the holy irregularity that you Mm -hmm. mentioned— it's really interesting how it could have been a scandal attached to her name as well. So we've seen the scandal attached to Tamar's name and their history. We've seen the scandal in Ruth and Rahab's story and even in Bathsheba's story last time. But now we're realizing that we thought that the Mary story would just be kind of squeaky clean or at least cleaner than the others. But then, okay, so Joseph's not the father, so there could be a scandal there
0: for all appearances, you would think, well, okay, well, what do you know? Uh, We we thought uh, we we were done with that after we got rid of Bathsheba, you know, quite a few verses ago, quite a few father of, father of, begats, begats ago. But maybe Mary has to get in line with those other women. Maybe there's something scandalous uh, going on here. Again, that would be the only logical explanation if it were anybody else's family. But that's not the case here, of course. But, of course, we know – as readers, Daryl, we often have an advantage. I mean, a lot of the biblical books are, have what they call in literature uh, an omniscient narrator. And so we often get clued in as readers what's up and what's going on. And when you get really, really used to a story, you forget what it must have been like to read it for the first time. Or you forget what it was like when you didn't already know the ending. And I think at Christmas, we, we tend to forget that the thing that we get all excited about And the thing that we sing beautiful Christmas carols about actually began looking kind of bad. And I think that tells us something, uh, and I think there is a theological message in there for us.
1: We have, over the centuries, have romanticized and deodorized, if you will, Christmas story. (laughs) And and the Christmas story is supposed to be a really earthy story, a story that deep down in the real human existence that does not move away from brokenness, does not move away from sin, does not move away from pain— and literally explains why Jesus has come. So in this next segment, we want to talk a little bit more about that, so stay tuned.
0: What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose.
1: And I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And there we just noted the hiccup, the holy irregularity in Matthew 1 that breaks the long pattern in this chapter of the person listed as the father of the next person, the father of the father of, except Joseph is not the father of Jesus. He's just the husband of Mary. And we just said, hey, if it were anybody else's family tree, we'd know what was up. Somebody else was the father of Uncle Albert. And it wasn't Grandpa. Uh, He was the father of the other children that came later. And that's what Joseph thought.
1: I mean, why wouldn't he? So in a natural solution or else the logical conclusion is that there must be another man involved yep. here. And, and traditionally speaking, this rocks the culture of what they're in. Like, they're, this is, You get patrolled, you get married, you have children, but not the other way around. Right. And so Joseph comes to that same conclusion. And we see it here in Matthew 1 where it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly.
0: Joseph, we are told in Scripture, is a righteous man. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Righteousness in the Gospel of Matthew is really important. Righteousness was important for the covenant people of Israel. Of course it was, right? You had to be righteous and holy as God is holy. So being righteous is the goal. And Joseph is introduced to us here as a righteous man. And a righteous man can't stay righteous if he gets mixed up in scandal. Mary cheated on him. What other explanation could there be? He can't maintain his righteousness and stay with her. He, he could be very harsh with her. He could haul her out into the street and yell at her. Um, and and, and stoned. Yeah, he could do lot of – he's a decent enough man that he's going to do it quietly, but he's ending this thing. He's breaking the engagement because how could he stay righteous if he, if he gets messed up with fornication, with, with Mary having slept with another man? What other explanation could there be?
1: I think this is uh, one of the things, Scott, that we gloss over when we think about Christmas. And like I said, we want to think about the angel. We want to think about the messenger. We want to think about the beautiful and glittery things. um, But we don't really understand that. This is a scandal. And Joseph is saying, I can't be caught up in this scandal. I'm going to find a way because I care about her and I'm righteous. I want to do this in a way that is not going to bring harm to her. But the marriage is off. The thing is, it's all over until God has to intervene and make sure that he understands what happened.
0: So in verse 20 of Matthew 1, After Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. So again, right? It takes an angel of the Lord to convince uh, Joseph. It took the angel of the Lord to convince Mary, too, by the way. So it took an angel to convince them both.
1: So they had to actually keep this on the download um, because I mean who would believe that right that that's a miraculous story of an angel and an angelic being coming to give them both a message to let them know this is going to happen now we've read this story so many times that we're like oh okay well of course we know the story we know what's gonna happen mm-hmm. but we forget sometimes that this is new information to them this is brand new development for them they're surprised by all the things that we read over and over as kids and such
0: you can kind of imagine how it would go right somebody would say to Joe Joseph, well, what's going on with Mary? And he'd say, well, it's okay. An angel told her that this is a miracle of God. And the person would say, oh, really? An angel <laughs> came to Mary and you believed her? Well, yeah, and an angel came to me too. Oh, so you both talked to an angel. Okay, Joseph, have yeah, a nice right. day. Uh, yeah, right. Even Jesus' arrival in this world is got clouded up by apparent brokenness. Now, it wasn't real in this case. It was real brokenness, what we saw with Rahab and Bathsheba and the early. But even here, there's an apparent glitch of morality. Joseph has to redefine his own righteousness. And that's what Jesus is going to end up doing throughout his whole life. He's going to make all of Israel redefine what the right thing is. And it starts with his own earthly though not biological father, Joseph. So Joseph sets the tone for the whole gospel.
1: And you know what's interesting is that, like I said earlier, that this story is a scandalous story. And God is using this scandalous story and turning it on its head in order to have actually these divine beings to communicate this is what is actually happening. And the incarnation of God's son happens in a situation that looks like a mess, that looks like scandal, that looks like a problem. And God uses this very situation to redeem all of humanity. It's really powerful to see.
0: And, you know, it's interesting that uh, what happens to Mary here, people probably whispered behind her back, if they didn't say it directly to her face, you sinned. No, she didn't. But what's gonna to happen to Jesus? The religious authorities are gonna come up to him again and again. You're a sinner. You are a glutton and a wine bibber. You break the Sabbath. You are a sinner, Jesus. You hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes and you you eat with them. You cannot be the Messiah because you're a sinner. And the Messiah can't be a sinner. So Mary gets accused of sin, which wasn't true, but that just previews Jesus is going to get accused of sin. In fact, at the end of the day, he's considered such a terrible sinner, he gets crucified as a sinner. And the crowds in Jerusalem even let a true criminal, Barabbas, go in order for Jesus, who never did a thing wrong, to die like a sinner. It's all kind of a unity in in, in Matthew.
1: And even at the end of his life, before he was crucified, they'd rather pick a criminal, Barabbas, than to have Jesus who knows has done nothing wrong. And there's this cloud of sin that's kind of people accuse them of that they assume is happening. That isn't the case because God is actually helping us to understand that his redeeming nature comes through these Complicated circumstances. And this sinful situation is actually weaved through and showing us why Jesus had to come.
0: Exactly. And it's just interesting that, Daryl, our salvation couldn't come without the people most intimately involved in it Mary, Joseph, and then finally Jesus himself getting caught up in the brokenness of this world, so much so that they got accused of all kinds of false things, that they're sinners, they're not righteous. If you were really righteous, you'd act like the Pharisees. You wouldn't associate with those people. There's just no getting out of it. But that's the point. There's got to be a way out of it and the way out of it uh, is Jesus. And so as we conclude this uh, episode, but also this series, we'll wonder about how this part of Matthew 1 opens up the true wonder of Christmas for us. So stay tuned for that.
1: We're glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork.
0: Daryl, we've been in Matthew 1 for a five-part series here, uh, four Sundays of Advent and Christmas itself. Uh, and we're at the Christmas part of the story now. We we opened this series sort of saying you had to sort of admire Matthew's style and how he put this genealogy, this family tree together. First, he shocked and scandalized us by putting the names of foreign women who— most of them had some pretty difficult stories attached to them. Then he lobs in the fact that Joseph was just the husband of Mary, but not the father of Jesus. But what he does all along, Darryl, is hes smuggling in a lot of good theology.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, he's sneaking in some good contraband there. So it's powerful because. He's showing the miracle of the incarnation. We got the second son of the Trinity Mm. here who is being born into bodily form. So like, do you know the scripture in Philippians 2 where it says the son, Jesus, doesn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he emptied himself and became like the nature of a person. So I think it's really powerful that we have the God of the cosmos who is able to shrink down into a microscopic zygote who is able to shrink down into a molecule. It's one thing for God to be big, but it's another for a big God to make himself small. And it's really powerful. And Matthew is showing that the incarnation came through this powerful way.
0: Exactly. You know, at Christmas, we think a lot about the baby in the manger. And sometimes we think, wow, isn't that amazing? A little goat's feed trough and the Son of God can lay within that little confines. But as you just said, it was more amazing than that. Before he got to that point, he was a microscopic uh, zygote in Mary's uterus. That is really, really amazing. You know, I'm reminded in what you were saying a moment ago, Daryl, the Old Testament often marveled, and particularly you see this in the Psalms, that God, who was so majestic, noticed us in our littleness, right? So Psalm 8, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth, but what are we yeah. that you even notice us, right? Or Psalm 113, where God is so big, and yet he notices the woman struggling to have children, yes. and he helps her to have children, and he notices the pauper, and he, he lifts up the poor person and seats him among the princes. So The Israelites were always amazed that God who was so big could see us who are so small. Well, now the God who is so big gets small so as to literally become one of us.
1: It's really powerful because we're contrasting God's transcendence and also his eminence and how he's involved in the very small details of life, including the fertilization here. And it's really powerful that God would do all of this to come into this world to save us. It shows how big his love, how long and high and wide and deep his love is for us. It also shows that he is willing to go through whatever is necessary to redeem creation. And I see that also, too, we could look at Paul, who alludes to this in Galatians four and he says, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So what
0: Paul is saying there, Darrell, we've been uh, in the family tree of Jesus in this entire series from Matthew 1. And uh, guess what? The family tree didn't end with uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary. It's gone on and on, and our names are in it now, Daryl. We can find our names uh, in the family tree of Jesus. And we no more belong there than Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba and Ruth. But by grace, as Paul was saying in Galatians 4, by grace we now have been adopted. And we're sons and daughters, and our names now are in the family tree of Jesus on account of his birth his death, and his resurrection. We can now call God our Father, as
1: Jesus invited us to do. I think it's also important to mention, too, um, earlier we talked about Joseph, his earthly father, mm-hmm. whom I don't know if we could call his stepfather fairly, um, but he is the one in the Bible who never speaks anything. He nope. never says anything. And he's just referred to in Matthew and Luke, and he never says anything. And then we hear about his death later on. But Joseph, through his actions, showed that he was doing what God asked him. He submitted to what was new knowledge to him. He humbled himself in a situation where a divine being let him know what the plan was and he went along with God's plan. So he's modeling the righteousness that is actually been attributed to his name. And God helped him to redefine what righteousness really was in that situation.
0: And if we fast forward just a few chapters in this same Gospel of Matthew and get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, and Jesus is going to take Israel to school bit by bit, commandment by commandment. Jesus will redefine what righteousness really is and it's not what the Pharisees thought just looking good on the outside even if your heart's full of pride and envy and all kinds of other junk nope to be a true child of God to be adopted into the family that Paul talked about in Galatians 4 means that you're pure on the inside and the outside and what's on the outside flows from the inside that's what true righteousness is as Jesus helps uh, Joseph to redefine it but also uh, as Jesus is going to try to help all of Israel, to redefine it. And you know what? It means kind of living in an upside-down way, right? That's the Beatitudes in in Matthew 5. But it also means, Daryl, recognizing everybody is our neighbor.
1: Everybody can be in the family. We are called to love all. I love that you said that, Scott, because everyone is our neighbor. It shows that in the genealogy of Jesus, we got Rahab who came from this other country. We got Bathsheba who came from this other country, we have Ruth who came from this other country. And even though there's a lot of things that are happening in their stories, these things that are painful and that are broken and, and society would label them as sinners, cast them off to the side as nobodies. Right. And these are the people that which Jesus, the one who brings salvation comes through. And even in the the story of Jesus, family, even those who would be considered to be voiceless, they would be disregarded, they would be marginalized, but they are brought into the genealogy of Jesus, which means anyone who is obscure, anyone who feels like they're less than, God says, no, you, you are welcome to become part of this family. You're welcome to become part of the body.
0: That is the love of God, or as Paul put it in the letter to the Ephesians, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And Daryl, I think that should be our dearest wish at Christmas and at all times, to know that great, great love of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Gerald Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork.
0: Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website, reframeministries.org, for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is
1: John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.